electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Mr. Zuckerberg goes to Washington. The CEO getting ready to face the heat in Congress. Tomorrow and Wednesday, we'll tell you what it means for the stock. Plus, the crypto crush rages on, but if you're getting wrecked, don't worry. Brian Kelly's got the one coin he thinks is going to break out. But first, we start off with a stormy session for the market. The Dow surging more than 400 points to the highs before selling off hard into the close. This as it was revealed that the FBI raided the office and hotel room of Trump's longtime lawyer, Michael Cohen. For more on this developing story, let's get straight to Eamon Javers in D.C. for the details. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. I asked Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the White House press secretary, about this. She said the White House is not going to have any comment at any point soon here uh, on these search warrants executed by federal law enforcement officials on Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney. But we do have a statement now from Michael Cohen's own uh, attorney who's calling into question some of the tactics here used by the FBI and federal law enforcement, saying the decision by the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York to conduct their investigation using search warrants is completely inappropriate and unnecessary. It resulted in the unnecessary seizure, seizure of protected attorney-client communications between a lawyer and his clients. Now, we don't know the extent of this raid, exactly what materials the FBI agents gathered, or even what exactly it was they were looking for, but you can presume that uh, this, uh, a raid of this magnitude would not have been signed off on uh, unless law enforcement officials were confident that they were uh, hot on the trail of something significant. The question is, what is that, and how effective will these arguments be by the Cohen attorney uh, and Cohen's legal team uh, that this is attorney-client privilege material between Michael Cohen and the President of the United States, Donald Trump. So all of that to be sorted out. We're just in the first hours of this story here, uh, and we'll wait for some more information as the evening goes on, Melissa. But uh, right now, we do know that those search warrants were executed uh, at Michael Cohen's office, uh, and we do know that his attorney is saying that some of the material gathered was inappropriate, Melissa. Is it presumed, Eamon, that this all is in connection with the investigation into Russia or perhaps other charges or other allegations may have emerged? Well, we don't know. I mean, what we know is that it's been reported that this is a referral from the special counsel's office, Robert Mueller's office, referred this to New York authorities, uh, who then took the steps uh, that we saw unfolding this afternoon. What we don't know is what exactly is at the heart of all of this, uh, whether this is something that was key to Mueller's investigation or uh, some other matter that they came across during the course of their investigation and said, you know what, uh, this bears some looking into. We've got to refer it to federal authorities in New York. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers, yeah. I'm sure he'll be on top of the story as evening progresses. So as the drama in D.C. seems to be reaching a fever pitch, will the chaos derail stocks? And we saw the reaction intraday, Guy, to this development. Well, it derailed them today, and I think your question hit at the heart of it. I don't think the market cares necessarily about President Trump's relationship with Ms. Daniels. I don't think that has anything to do with it. But I think what the market is concerned about, does this give President Trump the... Uh, the ammunition, or does it put him over the edge in terms of 
what he'll do with Mr. Mueller. If he fires Mr. Mueller, I think that's what the market's reacting to. I have no idea if that's under consideration, but to me, that's what the market reacted to today. Market, by the way, on Friday, and we discussed this, mm -hmm. held very critical levels. Had a miserable day Friday, but it held exactly where it needed to technically. And today, the follow-through was outstanding. And we'll be talking about that right now, but for this. So what does it mean? It means, to me, this still the key level in the S&P is 2580, and we'll see if we protect it tomorrow. I, I agree. I mean, we, this could be something really big. We don't know. Right. But one thing to me that was interesting, even earlier in the day, before any of this happened, before we saw this, the market was up a lot, the VIX was still very high, I thought. It really came in very little. And I sort of wondered, why is that? Is it just because we've had such volatile sessions? Even so, a rise like we had today. So there, that was a signal to that you. That was a, a signal, sign, yes. And it's interesting because I was watching the currency markets yep. all day and you saw strength in the yen, weakness in the dollar, which is generally a risk-off indicator. And that had occurred well before this raid happened. So then you look at the VIX, you start to put those dots together, and there was certainly under the surface here a risk-off type of tone or risk-off signals going on. And this was kind of fuel on that, in my view. And I think until we get back to the markets and it's more focused on Mr. Trump and what's going on in terms of the Oval Office and some of the decisions and the tariffs of last week that were going back and forth between the United States and China and all of that, when we get to the facts, when we start getting to the earnings again, then I think we'll start to see some of that VIX come off. But I, I was sort of a little bit surprised, but at the same time, we were up 440 points today. That's a pretty magnificent run to the upside. So when you look at the kind of move we're talking about there, it actually makes sense that volatility would maybe stay in the market because as opposed to everybody else in the world, right. I, I understand the VIX, I think, as well as anybody, and I can tell you this. When you get moves that are 1%, then 2% to the upside or downside, the VIX generally is going to start to show some of that. It doesn't always go down just because the market's going high. Right, but you make a good point in terms of the gains that the markets had at the highs. Yes. That was, would you call it magnificent, right, <laughs> rally to the upside? And that was also magnificent loss to the downside it here a it was a, It was a magnificent. I think if the market was open another 45 minutes or so, we'd probably be talking about the market closing negative on a day. Karen actually said they better close it sooner. Mm. This thing was yeah. going to be red. Mm. So it was equally magnificent to the downside. But again, put it into context. The low we saw in the S&P was, I think, 25.35, or there's about, about a month or so ago. We really have not tested that level again. The 25.80 level is a line in the sand. So despite all the gyrations that we're seeing, the market has held critical levels. Now, I don't know what tomorrow brings clearly, what happens overnight. And if Mr. Mueller is fired, I think that's catastrophic for the market. But until something like that happens, at least you know what you're trading against. And I would say this, yeah. earnings can't come fast yeah. enough because we've got to get the focus mm -hmm. back on the markets and what's going on with the markets. It's been on emotion, it's been on politics, it's been on everything. But it's not really been about the fundamentals of what we see within the markets going on right now. The earnings season, I think, is going to be something where if the growth is anywhere close to what people are estimating it to be, that should be a pretty impressive quarter we're going to start to see. It'll be interesting because President Xi is going to be speaking at a forum tonight, right. the Boao Forum. And this, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the first time that he is actually responding to what has gone on in terms of the, the tit for tat, et cetera, in public. Right. right, right. And so we'll see what happens. And, you know, there were some reports today that perhaps China wasn't going to buy U.S. Treasuries. And, of course, this is all just posturing ahead of this. But or that this they is have stopped. That there is a report stopped, that right. they've actually already that actually stopped. stopped which, and yeah. the devalue of the one. And the story and that's really the release valve here, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard for them to stop buying treasuries. I, don't, I would discount that mm -hmm. report. The release valve is the devaluation of the currency.
currency. That's kind of the nuclear option for them. And we'll see if he hints at it tonight. That could roil the currency markets, which then again, I think that volatility goes into the U.S. And equity quickly, market. the last time we saw that in a meaningful way was August of 2015. Mm -hmm. And by February of 2016, the S&P had traded down to 1810. Not suggesting, but just for context in terms of what it means to the market. All right. For more on what all the drama out of D.C. could mean for the markets, let's bring in Jonathan Golub, the chief U.S. equity strategist at Credit Suisse. Jonathan, good to have you with us. Good to be here. Is earnings season going to be the magic bullet for the markets? I hope it's going to be the magic bullet, and I hope we don't talk about trade anymore. But I do know one thing. This is going to be an, a really, really strong earnings season. It's going to be a bit confusing because of all this tax stuff. But I, I, I think not only is it going to be big in terms of growth, but the beats, I think, are going to be much larger than normal. Okay. So we sort of know that Q1 is going to be a very good uh, quarter. Right. Are you co as confident about Q2 or the outlook given the uncertainties that we are seeing in the markets? Yeah, I mean, if you take, if you look at what analyst estimates are, they're for somewhere between 17 and 20 percent upside um, for, for this year versus last. And even if you strip out, you know, 7 percent benefit from taxes, analysts, and so it's not, this is not the Credit Suisse view, but the broad market view, something like 13 percent, um, you know, 12, 13 percent um, upside X taxes. In year nine of a cycle, I mean, it's unbelievably uh, strong. Um, this quarter, every single every single sector is supposed to deliver um, pretty solid revenue growth. Not a single quarter with down revenue growth. And the beats of the early reporters, these are companies that are off cycle, are are coming in at something like eight or nine percent, which is very very strong. So you're talking about a very strong fundamental background. We yes. just spent the last few minutes talking about externalities, talking about tariffs that may or may not happen, talk about investigations that may or may not be coming to a fruition or something like that. If we get a headline that and the market's down, you know, the S&P down 30 handles, is that a massive buying opportunity going into I, earnings? I think, I think it has to. I mean, right now, everybody talks about the market being expensive. But the market's at like a 16 multiple on a forward basis. The market was at 18 and a half in January. So the market is on sale. And if you smack this thing down any further, especially tech stocks, I mean, they're just, they're on sale when you consider the fundamentals. Unless something really goes wrong with these names, you got to want to buy them. Let me ask you, what are you thinking about for the Fed's moves this year and how that's going to affect the market? Are you three, four? You know, the, the official move, um, official read from Credit Suisse is that we're going to have for this year, and I think the, the view is that wage inflation is ultimately a, a problem. You know, I, if you look, and I think the key thing to focus on is what's going on with the, the economic data out of Europe and elsewhere, which is a tiny bit softer. And if we start to see that continue, it may be three. But I don't think the Fed has any desire to, to put cold water on this thing, especially, um, you know, interest rates now are 20 basis points on, on the long end of the curve. The Fed is not going to want to um, even, you know, give any any inclination to want to, um, to to flatten out that curve or invert it. So if the long end softens up, the Fed's not going to do four. Here's a question that's really been gnawing at me for the past week and a half or so, that and that painful. is, it, it has been painful because it's a real question. I think that everybody's sort of grappling with in one form or another, and that is, you know, when strategists like yourselves or, or economists come on and, and try and um, predict what the impact of a trade war is. They take a very surgical view of what the impact could be. It's affecting these sectors. It could wipe out this much in GDP. A very surgical view. But what we've seen in the market is everything sells off across the board. Well, it's not a surgical view. Um, so what makes you so confident well, no. that it's not going to have an impact? Well, no, if we have a full-blown trade war, first of all, this, 
this belief that you sell surgically and that you, that you which companies are specifically associated with which tariffs, forget about it. You want to sell something? Sell the banks because interest rates are falling. The, the market's going to start reading that there's a, a recession concern. The question is, how likely do you think that we're going there? And I think the answer is not that likely. But if you, if you really think this is going to go bad, then sell the market and you want to be selling um, the most, you know, the highest beta, most volatile, most speculative stuff, and the banks are a big loser. But I don't think we're going down that path. All right. Jonathan, thank you. Jonathan Golub of Credit Suisse. Surgical. Surgical. Well, no, I mean, to your it's... point, I mean, we always talk about the markets going higher, you know, machines buying the markets higher, and everything sort of moves to the same. And to that could point, be the explanation for this the very same well. Thing could happen or to the you could see the declines in the semiconductor sector, for instance, and say, you know what? Semiconductors, they get about a quarter of their global revenue from China. And if there's an inkling of a trade war, that's going to hit them really hard. And so you don't sell that sector first. And you're seeing what's happened in evaluations. I mean, look, today, for example, Intel had a big, Intel was having a marvelous Pretty day nice at bounce one point back, today, yeah. mm -hmm. closed lower in the day. So I think technology wants to go higher, but it keeps getting sort of hamstrung by all the headline risks that we're seeing. Yeah. Well, well, for me, I'm looking for that flush out. And that's why I asked Jonathan the question about, you know, you've got great fundamentals. We've had the market come off. Unless you think we're going into a recession over the next several quarters, then any sell-off, and I think maybe 2,500, and I know that's a big number from here, but I think if we got something like that, 2,500, that's where I want to be buying this market. How are you feeling in uh, the uh, risk Tolerance. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a little little bit nervous. I actually would prefer to buy on a day not down 2,500. Then I'll be crying under my desk. But <laughs> I prefer to buy on a day where we're down 500, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, a day like today, I don't love to buy on a day like today. That's actually a little bit scary to me. To your point, though, about surgical, I totally agree. It's much broader than that. It's getting back to we don't know what policy is. There's no certainty anymore. And one of the things that made the Trump trade so successful was much more clarity on business regulation and taxes. And if we go back to uncertainty, that's bad. You know, there's always something you're looking for, and you're looking for an opportunity. And I would tell you that one of the, the only thing I bought today, but in the last couple of days, I bought other things. I bought IBM last week. I bought some Hilton last week. I bought some Polaris last week. But the one thing I did buy today was ConocoPhillips. It's one of those names where I like energy. We've had time and time again, we've had people get up on the board and tell us it's time finally for energy. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But it seems to me that you can still get great yields. You've got great companies that we think are some growth there, and it's going to start to come back. And because of that, I like a name like ConocoPhillips. Coming up, it is the moment of truth where Mark Zuckerberg as a Facebook CEO arrives on Capitol Hill for two days of questioning. We will bring you the latest details. Plus, hot stocks getting crushed. Why is this one hot trade going up in smoke? Tim Seymour joins us from California, where he is doing some on-the-ground research with a special report. And later, the crypto universe is looking a little bleak, but Brian Kelly here says there is one coin he thinks will be the next big breakout. He will explain. You're watching Fast Money. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news on Verifone. Kate Rogers is in the newsroom with the details. Kate. Hi, Melissa. That's right. The payments company soaring up over 50%. This on news that it's going to be acquired by a group led by PE firm Francisco Partners. The deal's worth $3.4 billion or $23.04 per share in cash. That represents a 54% premium to Verifone's closing price for the day. The deal is all cash once again, $3.4 billion. And the stock, as you can see, is up by more than 51%. 
headline right now. Back over to you, Melissa. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. Uh, let's go to Karen. You used to own this stock way back when. I used to be when. short this stock. Oh, short yes. this stock. Oh, that's way right. Way back when. Way back when. I haven't looked at it in a while. I mean, I like the payment space. They do, you know, if you go to... Uh, Various retailers, you may very well use a Verifone machine or in a, you, taxi cabs. It's interesting. Private equity, I'm kind of, that's interesting. I guess for the names that would be up on the heels of that would be Ingenico, which is French, but maybe like something like an NCR, which also has that kind of technology. Or maybe even extrapolating a little more, something like a Square, in that mm. they're, they're providing terminals as well, so it bumps that valuation up a bit. That's where I would look tomorrow. Square's valuation, though, is already super high, right? <laughs> well, but super it would bump high. it up from, in other words, you're saying this This is up 30 40% in the aftermarket. That's, yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. All right. And they're coming off what's not a, their, their guidance for the last, for the next quarter wasn't particularly fantastic, but it's interesting. What is Deal Book? Who does that? That's Andrew, Andrew Ross Sorkin. I think earlier this month they had a little piece that maybe Elliot was interested in taking a stake. Just throwing it out uh, there. Obviously, mm. now this comes on the heels of that. So, ARS always, I mean, it's amazing. Cutting edge. I wonder Cutting if that edge. was behind the scenes. I, ooh. The mm. Elliot. Well, we haven't seen him yeah. file yet. But interesting. Yeah, interesting. All right. Still <laughs> so ahead, shares of Facebook in bear market territory down 19%. So, can Mark Zuckerberg convince Washington and Wall Street that the worst is over for the social media giant? A top technician will weigh in. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Beaten passengers, dead dogs. So how do folks feel about the airlines now? Please, sir, I want some more. They can't get enough, and it could spell more gains ahead for airline stocks. We'll explain. Plus, Brian Kelly says he may have found the next crypto coin to break out. He'll give you the name and tell you how to profit when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stock selling off into the close today after it was revealed that the FBI raided the office and hotel of Trump's longtime lawyer, Michael Cohen. Bertha Coombs is standing outside Trump Tower in New York with the latest. Bertha. Melissa, and we are told that FBI investigators are continuing to search his personal residence at the Lowe's Regency Hotel, which is about 10 blocks away from here. Meantime, uh, what we know is that they conducted uh, several raids using search warrants. Uh, although Mr. Cohen, longtime attorney of the president, both personal attorney and his attorney here for the Trump Organization, Ryan, his personal Mr. Cohen's personal attorney called the searches inappropriate and serving a search warrant inappropriate. The fact that investigators seized what he said were personal uh, privileged communication between Mr. Cohen and his clients. Sources say that when a judge does issue a warrant, clearly that jurist found probable cause to issue that. And that case was referred here to the U.S. attorney for the Southern District to issue those warrants. Mr. Cohen, of course, as Mr. Trump's personal attorney, uh, admits to having paid $130,000 of his own money to an adult film star known as Stormy Daniels, also known as Stephanie Clifford. Uh, so we will see what comes of this this afternoon. Uh, as we're told, Melissa, right now, investigators are still searching his residence. Back to you. All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Um, I was just checking uh, President Trump's Twitter feed, thinking maybe he might chime in on something. But mm. if we are to extrapolate this to its worst-case scenario, what would that be? Worst-case scenario, I think, is President Trump... If, if, if the Mueller investigation has anything to do with this, I have no idea. But if it does, President Trump's 
gets uh, exercised enough to say that the special investigator is overstepping his bounds and I'm going to fire him. That to me would be, and I used the word before, I'll use it again, I think that would be catastrophic to the markets. That's a huge leap, by the way. But you ask me what's worst case, yeah. that's worst case. Well, at the very least, this shows you how, um, how sensitive the markets are to any sort of headline that Absolutely. could cause volatility. And, and anything, yes, and the volatility that remains in the markets, yeah. even you know, on a day where we had such a move to the upside with the volatility did remain in the market. But to Guy's point, I mean, that, that would be something that would, I think, shake the markets a lot more than what we've seen already in the last week or so. But wouldn't you want to be a buyer on that? I mean, yes. the, the entire, well, there we go, right? <laughs> this entire uh, sell-off has been based on the idea that there is no strategy, that there's chaos, that every single day we wake up and there's something new we have to worry about. If that's the case, it seems to me that either we're coming to the end of the Mueller investigation or we're coming to the end of something else. Let's get to the other major story of the week, and that would be Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg arriving on Capitol Hill today ahead of two days of scheduled testimony, which kicks off tomorrow. Kayla Tausch is in Washington with the latest. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Melissa. Mark Zuckerberg began the Washington leg of his apology tour with some high-stakes meet-and-greets with the top lawmakers on each of the two Senate committees that are going to be jointly grilling him tomorrow for several hours. Uh, he wrapped up those meetings just a few moments ago, five hours in total, four meetings in all here on Capitol Hill. We asked him how he felt those meetings when he didn't answer any of the reporters' questions. But earlier today, Senator Bill Nelson, the Democrat from Florida, gave his reaction. My personal opinion of him was that he was forthright and honest to the degree that he could. But I, I think there are going to be a lot of challenges for his company in the future. Some of those challenges will be regulation, which no doubt will figure prominently in tomorrow's and Wednesday's hearing, which will take place on the House side. Uh, certainly, there has been regulation proposed in the past. It was primarily by de Democrats, and it has since stalled, but it could be costly for the company, on top of costs that the company is already incurring, trying to uh, brace for Washington's potential scrutiny and trying to sort of be proactive to make sure that the data breaches, like the Cambridge Analytica situation, do not happen. And again, in testimony that Zuckerberg prepared for this week on the Hill, he said, I've directed our teams to invest so much in security on top of the other investments we're making that it will significantly impact our profitability. To what extent it will, it's unclear. He says there will be 20,000 people at Facebook very soon working on security. But of course, Melissa, this week, all eyes are going to be on Zuckerberg himself, rather. Absolutely. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche. And it is Facebook's Judgment Day as Zuckerberg's testimony over the next two days could prove to be the ultimate moment of truth for the social media giant. Wall Street will be clinging to Zuckerberg's every word. And with Facebook shares near bear market territory down 19% from 52-week highs and more privacy concerns piling up, will Zuckerberg be able to convince shareholders that the worst is behind the embattled social media giant and ultimately save face Facebook? Um, Pete, I go to you because... What he could say on Capitol Hill may be aimed at allaying the concerns of senators yes. or congresspeople, but they may not also be geared towards allaying the concerns of shareholders. They could right. be completely different messages that he needs to convey at the And same the time. idea of what will this truly end up costing Facebook in the end. Yeah. And I know Karen was talking about that. We talked earlier in the day, but your numbers, it seems like, might be a little smaller numbers than what right, Mr. Zuckerberg, the numbers we're talking about just now, because 20,000 employees and that type of thing and how it could significantly impact the earnings. I mean, that is something I think we have to keep in, 
keep in mind, but I think the idea that the stock is $30 or $35, give or take, off of where it was just a month ago before all this happened, two, three weeks ago, actually, it tells me that a lot of this has been priced in up to this point. In the released uh, testimony today, he said that currently there are 15,000 people who are working at Facebook uh, in connection to security and reviewing content. By the end of 2018, that's the number that Kayla was, was referring to, there will be 20,000 people. That's a lot of the, So it'll be an increase of 5,000. Okay. I'm not sure if that was already accounted for in their operating budget or not, or if this is on top of since this whole Cambridge Analytica thing happened. Um, but what's interesting is that every Wall Street analyst who you ask how about rising costs? They say, well, you know, Facebook always overshoots on OPEX. They always give a number that's way too big. So there's cushion there. So it's okay if they have to spend more in order to accomplish that because they always they always give us a bigger number than what actually is. Right. Well, they have that. I do sort of because when you look at the business model, the margins here are extraordinary. So the number one thing is revenues. Mm -hmm. Revenues so outweigh anything on the cost side. So really the question is, what happens to the revenues, to me, not nearly as much as right. what happens to the costs. Yeah, I mean, so they I can hire as many security people as they want, but if you've lost the trust of your consumer, the person who's using it, then the data that they have may not be as valuable as it was before this. People may not want to give that up. There might not be as many people. So I agree. It's not about expenses. It's about revenue. I, that's the part I would be concerned is how much of their current business model, which is an advertising business model, is broken and what needs to change. I agree with that, but on the conference calls, whenever they gave a number that was bigger than what analysts had expected on spending, that's what torpedoes the stock in the after hours. Or the algos. Or the algos do. That's right. fair, yeah. fair yeah. enough. Okay. And then you can so, question every single move And then it always bounces stock. back. Reading off the yeah. word. Yeah. <laughs> Your question to Pete, real quick, I thought it hit the nail on the head. I think the happier people in Washington are by his testimony, in some ways the worst could be for the stock. Our next guest called the Facebook breakdown even before the big data scandal broke. It's been in this well-defined channel, and we've really broken down, often after breaking below a channel and then throwing back to the top of the channel as it's done, it typically hits its head and then does that. I'm a seller of Facebook here. If you're long and got great gains, take your money off the table. What a call. And Charm Master Carter worth a cornerstone macro says to brace for even more pain ahead for Facebook. Hey, Carter. Hi there. Well, you're kind to remember a good one. I've got my duds, plenty of them, but thank you. Uh, let's figure it out from here. I thought uh, we'd just look at all serious drawdowns in Facebook uh, since it IPO'd. In fact, uh, if your first day in life uh, is right away a stumble, that's usually trouble. It IPO'd on the 18th of May, 2012, and out of the gate dropped 43% rallied back about 30% and did it again, another 48%. These are all peak-to-trough drawdowns of 20% or more. You can see in 13, again in 13. Let's keep going just to put this current one in perspective. So here is our current sell-off, 24%. The issue is, is it finished? They typically are sort of 5 to 10 weeks. This has been uh, 8. Let's look at a few charts and try to figure it out together. Here is the chart of Facebook since its IPO. The lines draw themselves. I didn't manipulate anything. Here are the drawdowns, each one as discussed. So is the 24 percenter, it's not as bad as others, but it's a bit more than these, uh, these two here. So let's put the trend lines in. That is the exact same chart. And the issue here is are we at risk of breaking the lower band of the channel that the stock has lived in its entire public existence? 
I think so. And, and here is what I think the tell is for that. One, we know two-panel chart, Facebook's relative performance to the S&P, even as the stock was going higher, its relative performance, stock higher, its relative performance started to stall, and now it has broken trend. Let's do Facebook to consumer discretionary. Same circumstance. Even as the stock went higher, its relative performance stalled and now is broken trend. One more. And this is now Facebook compared to tech sector. Same circumstance, same stall in relative, same break to the downside. Is that the case for all tech? No, tech in fact, and we'll end with this chart. This is tech. So here's tech on the top relative to the S&P. Not only has tech stayed in an uptrend, its relative performance has stayed in an uptrend. Facebook's problems are idiosyncratic. I think it's highly unlikely that this is a dip to be bought. In fact, I, I would suggest there's more downside. Carter, come on over. Well, thank you. Wow. Ryan's going to bring the chair. I mean, he had such a great call, right, on Facebook? The first time around. Yeah. Got to have him back here at the desk. He's the pinnacle. He's a, he's the pinnacle, implying that he is the best. Pen zenith. He's okay. Zenith. All right. Um, okay. So if it does break that lower band in that channel in which it's existed for its entire public life, yes. what's the next stop? So hard to know. I was just sort of running some numbers. Let's say it's a 30 percenter, which would be not as bad as some of the 40 percenters, but a little bit more than the current. Um, the stock's at 157.93 today. Uh, that would uh, take us down to about 135. I think that's what? That's another what? 10 to 12 percent from here. I think that's a very reasonable expectation. A reasonable expectation is another 10 to 12 percent drawdown in Facebook from where we are right now. That's my hunch. The longer it lives in that channel, is it the more likely that it will do what? Does it increase the odds of it behaving in a certain way? Well, so that's right. So things can exist in channels both downtrends and uptrends. Think about horrible stocks that are uh, for uh, for for years, in fact. The, the issue here is the day-to-day -day performance. It's not attracting capital, right? There are a lot of stocks that have bounced. People have decided maybe it's time to put money. It's just heavy. And then there's this. Forget about everything I've just said. If you're in the stock and you were hurt, the psychology of being hurt is that there's a lot of money above, right? People that are trapped who, if given the chance, would love to say, wait a minute, I should, I should reduce. So there's overhead supply, interested sellers above. So is all of this independent of what happens to the market at large? Because well, I suppose, because if you think about issues. it, remember, the stock kept going. The market peaked on Friday to the 26th of January. Uh, Facebook's high wasn't until the 1st of February, right? So it had a little uh, more to it. And its low, of course, is very... This is very specific, I think, to Facebook. And if there's a general market sell-off that continues, you have to assume Facebook will participate. If there's a rally, is Facebook going to participate? I would think less so. Carter, if this, yes. is, if this is something bigger, it's breaking out of a channel that it has for its whole life as a public company. If this is something bigger, there's not only just the 30% downside, but there's a time frame. How, what kind of time frame would you expect on this? Right. Well, we know if you look at all holdings lists, it's, it's one of the more popular things in, in retail accounts as well as things. Uh, this, there's been very little selling. That's the frank reality of it, right? There are plenty of people. So it, it would be long-lasting. It's not weeks, it's months and months, in principle, if a break occurs. How about the overall markets? What do you make of uh, today's reversal? Well, again, I, I think the, the, the key to this is that 
There's an adage from the 1930s and 40s, sharp indecision is resolved sharply. There's a huge debate going on between those who think there's an opportunity to get long here and those who are worried about cyclical tops. Volatility occurs at market bottoms and market tops. We'll be highly curious this is a market bottom. Which implies, of course, sharp indecision yeah. is resolved sharply. It's nice. So Carter Braxton Worth. Are you predicting a sell-off? We've had we've had a nice. I mean, one. are we are we are we something oh, we even be, deeper and more violent than sure. what we? I would think the, the, we should be grinding lower. Industrials have rolled. Certain financials have rolled. It doesn't mean everything's bad, but this is not the kind of environment that encourages new money to embrace equities. It's so if we see a bounce, let's say, in the Dow, up 700 points tomorrow or something, you say fade it. That's fake. I think fake. you fade it, just as almost right. every bounce has been faded. Okay. Carter, Thanks, thank guys. you. Carter Braxton Worth of Cornerstone Macro. You agree with that assessment? Couple. We had a Wednesday, it's probably about a month or so ago, you asked that question. Is it now, is it a buy the dip market like it's right. been, or is it a sell? And, and even Petey said, you know what, now you're selling, and Karen on that Wednesday said, and I mentioned this last week, it's the most concerned she's been in quite some time. So CBW is probably onto something. Again, for emphasis, 2580 is the line in the sand in the S&P. Still ahead, Bitcoin traders have gotten wrecked this year as the major cryptocurrencies crash. But Brian Kelly here says there's one under-the-radar coin that could be going to the moon. He'll tell us what that is. Plus, it's been a year filled with PR nightmare after PR nightmare for the major airlines as videos of dragged-out passengers, like the infamous one you see on your screen, have gone viral. But despite all the chaos, airline sentiment is soaring. We'll tell you what that means for the stocks. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Cryptos just keep getting crushed with the biggest coins falling across the board. The crypto wall of shame says it all. Ripple and Bitcoin Cash both plunging over 70% so far this year, while Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum have all tanked more than 40% since the start of 2018. But despite this crypto crush, BK says there is one coin that's not only poised for a breakout, but it could be a threat to one big cryptocurrency in particular. Trying to find out what coin that is with a crypto class. BK's at the plaza. Take it away. Yeah, sure. So we've got a lot of things going on this year. Obviously, we had a ton of froth in December, all coming off now. But we've got to look at what's going on in this market. To me, 2018 is going to be the year of infrastructure and also the year of the Ethereum competitors. So I want to look at an Ethereum competitor here, which is called Cardano, relatively new cryptocurrency. You can do smart contracts on it. You can do blockchain 3.0. So it's an Ethereum competitor in the year of Ethereum competitors. They do have a very experienced team behind the project, which is very important whenever you're valuing a cryptocurrency. You want to make sure you have very experienced people that know how to program. And then finally, where it's trading right now after we've had this big sell-off is a great risk-reward. So let's go to the chart and see what I'm talking about. All right, so we've had this big peak, right? This is when it kind of first came public, all the way up to $1.20. Where are we now? All the way at 14 cents. That's what's called getting wrecked, R-E-K-T, if you bought it here. But look what we're doing here. At 14 cents, we're starting to bottom. Second quarter of the year for crypto has always been positive, going back all the way to 2012. So I want to look at names that are bottoming, that are a competitor in the year of competitors, and I've got great risk-reward. BK, let me ask you something. You talk about it as an Ethereum competitor. Can they both win? Can they both get part of the pie, or does somebody have to come out as the winner? No, I actually think there's room for plenty of different coins. Um, and so it really depends what's being built on it. But you want to buy the infrastructure name. So you can have, you know, you can have multiple router companies to bring it back to an internet. 
uh, analogy, and maybe some have different specialties that another one doesn't. I think there's a place for them all to exist. Have you altered your allocation to coins on the belief that Ethereum is going to face more competition this year? Uh, I don't, I, I've, I've altered it a bit in that I bought a, a few more of the Ethereum competitors. That doesn't mean I don't like Ethereum. In fact, Ethereum has been trading quite well relative to Bitcoin. Uh, but I do think there's an opportunity this year to get spread out more on the infrastructure. Last year was all about this froth and the promise of, hey, this guy's building the new Facebook. I think this year is going to be about building the Cisco's. All right, thanks for that uh, crypto class, BK. My pleasure. Brian Kelly. All right, coming up. Despite dragged out passengers, dead dogs, flushed hamsters, other bizarre encounters between the airlines and their customers, uh, sentiment is actually soaring. We will tell you what that means for the stocks. Plus, from flying high to getting high, hot stocks have been a major buzzkill for investors, but one of the traders says don't pass on the graphs just yet. The stocks are about to light up, and for those keeping score at home, that's four hot puns in one cheese. Try and top that after this break. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been exactly one year since the now infamous video of the removed passenger on a United flight went viral. Since then, there's been a series of bizarre mishaps, if you can call them even bizarre, between airlines and their customers involving anything from peacocks to lost dogs, dead dogs, toddlers. But despite all this, sentiment is actually booming. Phil LeBeau is in Chicago with more on this. Phil. And Melissa, keep in mind that what we're talking about is 2017 data here. So a lot of these complaints about dogs being lost or, or dying in flight, all of that data will be in the 2018 report. But when you look at 2017, the Dr. Dow incident with United Airlines actually sparked a wave of other in clashes between uh, flight attendants or flight crews or security crews and passengers. Ultimately, the industry said, we've got to change our procedures when it comes to bumpings. And then we saw the number of bumpings, people who were involuntarily denied boarding a plane, it fell to a record low. And that's one factor behind 2017 having a record high in terms of airline service. And I know a lot of people will say, what? After last year, they had a record high? That's correct. That's according to the people who put together this study, which looks at government data. The top three airlines, once again, it's Alaska, edging out Delta, just barely. They had to go to three digits in terms of calculating things to say, yes, Alaska, slightly better than Delta. JetBlue coming in at number three. Who were at the end of the list of the 12 airlines that were ranked? ExpressJet, Frontier, and Spirit coming in dead last. The author's pointing out that Spirit has a higher complaint rate than its competitors. We reached out to Spirit. Spirit says, look, we're improving. Our, our complaint rate is dropping, and this study doesn't take into account the fact that we have low fares, which people appreciate. The reason we're showing you Delta, Melissa, is that on Thursday, Delta will be reporting earnings. We will be in Atlanta. We'll talk to Ed Bastian not only about this survey, but really about the state of the business as it heads into 2018. And with regard to your complaints or your questions about animals, that'll be in next year's survey. This is only about right. 2017. But the survey is only a compilation, right? I mean, we spoke to the guy who puts together the survey on Squawk Box yeah. this morning, a compilation of complaints that go into the Department of Transportation, which seems Correct. like a strange, right? I mean, if you're a passenger, it's, it's, I'm not going to call the Department of Transportation to complain about a United flight or a JetBlue flight or whatnot. You are right about that, in that increasingly people will just go to social media and they'll say, hey, uh, something bad has happened, I, I got bumped, or I'm getting rerouted and it's not right. Um, there has to be a better third party in order to grab all of those tweets, those complaints, yep. and, and to put them together, because right now it's more anecdotal than anything else. Yeah. 
All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Pete, where do you go on airlines? Well, you know, Warren Buffett's in several airlines, and I think the one that's the most interesting to me is the one that kind of gets thrown off. None of those charts showed Southwest in there, right? I mean, we saw Alaska, we see Delta, we see United, we see all this different stuff. We see the bad end as do well. Do you mention that because you think Warren Buffett might yes. acquire Southwest? <laughs> yes, uh -huh. okay. I actually do. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's put out there that that's even a possibility. So as a stock or the company? As a company. company. <laughs> No, he's already, he's already positioned in multiple airlines right now. I love Delta still. I still think they're well run. I think they miss Richard Anderson, but I think Southwest is a pretty interesting play. Are you still fully in airlines? I'm in pair? Delta uh -huh. and I'm in American. I switched out of United. I mean, I, I, it's interesting. When you think about it, they fly half a million passengers a day, right, Delta? So you get eight complaints. That sounds like a lot. but. I mean, that's well, if you don't come off the plane bruised, you're going to tell the survey you're going to get in 10. Hey, hey, pretty good. Hey, this is fantastic. Hey. Best thing ever. When you condition yeah. people, so you see those videos over and over again. And you're like, I'm happy to be alive. On your feet, you're like, so oh, my God, this is a home run. <laughs> Pete, listen, there, there it is. There it is. I mean, look at it. If, you, if you're walking off there with your bags and without a bl black it's eye, I mean, screaming. you're in great shape. It's the screeching, it's screaming. It's disturbing. disturbing. It's, I don't yeah. know why. We should not show this. I mean, Oh, you're showing. Nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. Listen, too. Delta, by the way, yeah. Delta reiterated, reiterated their guidance last week. Valuation is cheap. The stock is down, I think, about 15 16% from the recent high. So I think in the earnings on Thursday, it's an interesting play. All right. Well, speaking of earnings and Delta, option oh. traders are betting the airline will actually soar on the back of earnings. So let's get the options action now with Mike Coe in Austin, Texas. Hey, Mike, you, you know an airline or two pretty well. Uh, all too well, I yeah. think. United more than Delta, but actually in line with the guys on the desk there, Delta is liked a lot by the options traders. We saw about three to one calls over put volume, and they're expecting about a 4% move. And where we saw the most activity was the June 52 and a half calls, about 1,850 of those traded for three and a quarter. So those are bullish bets that Delta will be up about 5% by June expiration or just a little over two months from now. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Co in Austin, Texas. For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, pot stocks taking a big hit. Uh -huh. Even I know that's a pot joke. Um, the once high flyer <laughs> suddenly going up in smoke, falling double digits in the last month. We'll tell you what's behind that move much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Did the pot stocks get too high for their own good? Check out the performance of the major marijuana names over the past month. This after a major run-up. So is the pot trade going up in smoke? Our token cannabis capitalist, Tim Seymour, joins us now from Los Angeles. <laughs> Let's get them all in, Mel. Let's get these out of the way. Oh, I get it. Oh, I get toke. Let's get them out of the way. Okay. All right. I understand now. Okay. So what yep. is the sentiment at this conference? Well, first of all, Cowan's putting on a showcase event. It's about real thoughts, real opportunities in a very real industry. In fact, if anything, uh, the dynamics here for the companies, which is, you know, taking the long view on an industry that's probably $200 billion right now uh, globally. And again, people talk about sales in the U.S. and Canada. It's a global industry um, that does not, well, that, that encompasses medical. There's a medical equity component. There's a wellness component. Um, I think there's a hardware component. Um, there's a lifestyle component. So the people that are gathered at this event, 
event. It's a showcase event. Um, at one panel, you had over 40, maybe 50 percent of the investable market cap in, in Canada up on a podium talking about their long plans, their plans for taking market share, for strategic partnerships with people like Constellation Brands and other global players in the alcohol or tobacco industries or wellness industries that want to be a part of this. So I, I get while equities have suffered, um, valuations you can attack uh, clearly um, if you want to look at traditional investment metrics. This industry, much like crypto, you know, you talked about this two blocks earlier, the, the prices right now that are pulling back are not necessarily invalidating the proof of concept. There's no question about that. Where have you been on your weed trade? I mean, you were in on this pretty early in a couple of names. Yeah, well, look, I, I think if, you know, four of the biggest companies that were there today, and I, I believe I hear a sound of something in the like background. A there. I, you know, can't, the toilet sound can't, can't claim to know what that is. But, <laughs> but if, you, if you look at uh, Afria, if you look at MedRelief, if you look at Canopy, if you look at Kronos, those are all speaking today. Those are global companies. Those are companies that have pulled back, but people who are looking at uh, these multiples on a trailing 12-month basis are not looking at major investments they've made uh, in production, in doing business in Germany, in the medical marijuana market markets uh, and establishing a global brand. This is a classic CPG story. So just to be clear on that, this is a very sophisticated, mm -hmm. high-tech, mature, complicated consumer business, I should say, that, that replicates the mature ones. It's still right. in its infancy, but some of the traditional guys from that world very much involved here. All right, Tim, great to see you. Great Enjoy to see the you conference. Too, Thank you. <laughs> see you later. Seymour. <laughs> I'll see you back here. All right, anybody um, venturing into this space? interested in this space could this well could this displace interest in alcohol stocks spirits or? Mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. uh cosmetics it's going to be extraordinarily disruptive tim is on to something and i actually think the cowan, cowan has a note out on that that this actually could take some earnings from budweiser from the constellation brands that's why they're looking into it and if you think about after prohibition where were the empires built they were built in the alcohol trade so if you're looking for something that's maybe not as risky as bitcoin this is the next one. <laughs> All right, up next, final trade. Time for the final trade. Pete. Mel, you know I love technology. IBM. Karen. Yes, we got bank earnings later this week. I like Citibank. Speaks. Love Pete's IBM, but I like the shiny metal a little better. GLD, buy Ooh. that one. E. Big fast man, money fan, David Roy in the hospital. Not feeling well, watching the oh, show. Feel better. Uh, Las Vegas Sands, LBS, that'll get you done. Get, get well. You. All right, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.